Welcome everyone to another episode of Elvis Tight Podcast. It's your host Travis and John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. We have a wonderful guest today. Who do we have, John? Chad Kuhn. Um, Was that a question? Of, no. Out of Ohio. <laughs> uh, nice guy, man. For one, I'm jealous of his beard. Yeah, um, great beard. I wish I could grow that and I can't. Um, <laughs> two, I always like to hear from someone that's around my age and yeah. you know, kind of their story through jujitsu and how they evolved and it's always awesome to hear how they start, you know, in their 20s and then where they're at now. And I always find that stuff fascinating. Yeah, Chad is from uh, the Limitless Radio Cast. He's uh, one of the hosts over there. And he is a black belt, uh, first degree black belt, like John mentioned, over in Ohio. Been training in jiu-jitsu for almost 20 years now, which is crazy to think about. Such a long time. And yeah, this conversation is great. We kind of go over being an older practitioner, um, competition how to approach class as a white belt what else did we cover john you know um i really like to talk about approaching it as a white belt um i don't think we've really talked about that in a while and i think a lot of people will get some value out of that that was probably my my favorite part of that um recording it's a big deal right and you like you kind of lose sight of it especially after you've been doing this for a year for a few years so it's nice to think about that brand new white belt and what they're going through when they come to class yeah absolutely so let us guys let us know what you guys think uh, about this conversation with chad it was a great one there were some technical difficulties uh so if, when we first start the conversation you'll hear us joking about it um his computer did not like our recording software or his phone or his internet but we ended up getting it all done <laughs> yeah it was like the first try we only got to first base then second base and finally yeah. finally we got the whole yeah thing. yeah finally so um don't forget go check out our merch Elbowstight.com if you want merch. These hats aren't on there, but this sweater is. Uh, also, we have t-shirts, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Elbowstight.com for that. Follow us Elbowstight everywhere. If you haven't already, our Instagram has been steadily growing, so thank you guys for that. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't already. And yeah, that's pretty much it. John, you got anything else? Nope. Thank you. Give all it a listen. All right, guys. Let us know what you think, uh, and we'll talk to you later. Peace. Welcome, everyone. This episode of Elbows Tight Podcast is brought to you by Amino Co. Travis, go ahead and tell us about Amino Co. So I have been using Perform by Amino Co. It is a 100% science-backed formula, patented, and it is a great pre-workout and intra-workout. Some of the science behind it is it supports athletic performance by triggering muscle protein synthesis and reducing muscle breakdown during exercise. It improves the mental focus and decreases the feelings of fatigue by providing the optimal balance of neurotransmitter precursors. And then finally, it increases nitric oxide production and promotes energy for sustained peak performance. Performance. I've been using this about 30 minutes before my jiu-jitsu classes, and I must say, it has been helping me immensely. I feel more focused. I feel more energized. Recovery after class feels much better. I wake up in the, the morning after and don't feel nearly as beaten up, and it, it, it tastes great. I have the pink lemonade right here. Uh, I have the blue raspberry coming in. John, where the, can people at home find this? You can go to aminoco.com slash elbows tight. You can use the code elbows tight. You'll get 30% off. Again, go to aminoco.com slash elbows tight. Use the code elbows tight to get 30% off. And you get a free gift with every purchase. Ooh. Thank you, AminoCo. Thank you, guys. Chad, third time's a charm, man. All right, we got it this time. I believe, I believe in us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Figures have another podcast guy on. I panicked there for a second. He was freezing. I didn't know if he heard you. Yeah. I said, 
figure, figure <laughs> you, have a, you have another podcast guy on and we can't do anything, right? Yeah, I know. It's unfortunate. I mean, it happens sometimes. You know, we, we all run into technical difficulties, uh, but we work past it and we have the conversations. Right, Absolutely. John? That's right. So, Crucial conversation. Like your video just went out on us, but it's perfectly okay. I think... I think <laughs> <laughs> the, the perks of technology, so... I'm telling you. But hey, uh, Chad, for the people... Yeah, all right. For the people that don't know you at home, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a, a little history of who you are and uh, how you got into jiu-jitsu and everything? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm a black belt, uh, first-degree black belt under James Klingerman out of Indiana. Um, been doing jiu-jitsu. This will be my, my 19th year this fall. Um, and, you know, like most, most guys my age, I'll be 48 this year. Um, I started back in the 80s doing karate and you know, did that for a long time. And then when the UFC started surfacing, you know, I, I wanted to figure out what jujitsu was. So um, finally found jujitsu in 2004. So it took a little longer in, in Ohio. There wasn't a lot of options, um, but finally found it and still going. What, what was your, uh, your driving factor to finally jumping into jujitsu? Well, you know, and it sounds very cliche, again, for for my age and starting when I did, is you saw Hoist Gracie, you know, choking people out wearing these pajamas. And you're like, what the heck is going on? You know, like, I don't want to say the guys I looked up to, but the guys that did what I did, a striking art like karate, were getting their butts kicked. Um, and it just, yeah. it, it didn't make sense because obviously, you know, we were never you know, taught anything on the ground. It was like, oh, the, the fight won't get there. You don't have to worry about it. Well, we know that's not true. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I think someone did a, uh, a like, a research on all the fights on YouTube, and I think what they found was, like, 95% of fights on YouTube ended up on the ground. So for people to be like, well, I don't have to worry about going to the ground because I'll just knock them out. It's like, well, if someone closed this distance on you, uh, good luck. Yeah. yeah, that was my strategy yeah. for sure. Just, just gonna <laughs> knock them out. <laughs> yeah, or I'm just gonna hold my breath if they lock in. A I want to know if 98 percent of fights uh, in school end in a headlock. That's yeah, what, that's what that's I always question. ended up in was a headlock. A headlock. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like just sitting in side control, just cranking that mm, can over. Yeah, can I just break this neck? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. So, so you, I, I heard in a, a, a interview that you're six foot and like 150, 160 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Right in, right in there. So, so what was it like being, I mean, that's kind of like prime, uh, body type for jujitsu. You know what I mean? Like, obviously you want to be a little bit more like strength and whatnot, but right. like, man, having the lengthy guys that are like skinny, like we have a guy, uh, Keegan in our school mm -hmm. and it, it, he's the same thing, man. He's like tall and slender, and it's like perfect for his body. Did you feel like it was very advantageous for your body type? Uh, you know, not at first. So when I started jiu-jitsu at 29 years old, I weighed 130 pounds. Um, so I've always oh, wow. been, yeah, I've always been really slim and tall. Um, and I didn't wrestle. Like I said, all I did was karate. So at first it was very frustrating because I had, I had nothing, um, and the, the gym, I started at East Coast Martial Arts, where I still am today, and it was no-gi only. Um, and at that time, we did like we did a lot of even standing stuff, clinch stuff, Muay Thai stuff. It was a little more MMA-based. Um, we didn't do a lot of striking, but we did that kind of stuff. And until I found doing some gi, that's when I really figured out my length. You know, I started playing some spider guard early on and 
really figuring out that part of it. What what was your early days as a white belt like? Like what what were the the you know your first class? How how was how was that for you? So my fr- I remember my first class. It was again it was nogi and I got <laughs> <laughs> I got beat up by this girl, tapped me out and I'm like what is happening? You know, uh. like um and I just, you know, had to keep going back and um my coach at the time was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, Mike Broom. Um, oh, wow. and he, I knew, I knew he trained in the gi somewhere else. Um, so I started training in the gi with him in this little, you know, hillbilly town, like 40 minutes South of us. Um, and the guy down there just got his purple belt. So I trained in his basement for three days a week. And then I would go back and forth the East coast too. Um, you said you you are at the same academy that you started at. Yeah. How do you feel about lineage? Because we're at the same academy that we started at. Yeah. And you know, at a certain point, um, lineage to me matters, but then again, it, it doesn't because I don't know. I feel like it doesn't really matter who you've come from in today's jujitsu because you know we're all like meshed into one big community there's online uh, stuff that you can do right so mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to know exactly where you came from because information is so accessible today right coming from someone that went white to black do you feel lineage is a little bit more important to you because you've been under the same people the entire time i'm um, not not necessarily so we will so i've been at the same uh, east coast you know the same gym but we did we did have had a couple different affiliates so i have had some different oh, okay i have had some different lineage um so I'm kind of like you. I go back and forth. I think lineage, you know, is important, more important to others um, and having those good coaches and all that stuff. But um, but maybe not as much as it, it used to be, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely I definitely think um, nowadays people are way more accepting of. You know, maybe like the Ronins of jujitsu. You know, they have like the BJJ Globe Trotters to for people that yeah. don't have an affiliate or anything like that. Right. So if you go to them, you could literally just travel and you'll get your black belt through the 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 uh, tree of black belts in the Globe Trotters things. I think that's really kind of cool too. But same thing with us is we've uh, been through so many. I think there's so many new people in jujitsu that the it kind of had to go that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there wasn't a choice. You know, when there was less practitioners, then yeah, it was super important. Everyone knew everyone. They knew who all the big big names were. But now everyone's pretty much getting into it. So yeah, and also lineage was a big thing too because it was like you can't share yeah. the school secrets. Yeah, you know oh, what yeah. I mean. Like, don't don't go train somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel like that was still that way when you started jujitsu back in uh, 2004? Right. Right. No, I think we had a, a pretty. It was pretty open where I was at that I cross trained at a lot of gyms. Um, oh wow. I think I don't know. I almost think cross training was even though it was a while ago. Sometimes it was more accepted then than now. I don't know why I feel. You know, it's 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 different it, it, depending where you're at. You know, like. Um, lineage is cool. Obviously knowing where you came from, where your rank came from. Um, I'm all about cross training and all that stuff, but I do think at the same time, loyalty is very important, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think there's a difference between like lineage and loyalty. Well, like sure. I have loyalty to my, my academy. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I like, the, because the owner is like one of our best friends. Right. And just the way we were brought up in jujitsu, you know, we've had a couple different 
instructors uh, affiliates that we've been under um but the like core the the core loyalty kind of is with my friends that are there uh cody the owner and whatnot i feel like that is a little bit more important than who who yes, teaches us you know what sure. i mean because yeah. instructors can come and go especially if it's not their school yeah yeah i think loyalty plays probably a, a big deal for me and you i mean i've thought about going train somewhere else um and honestly, it's probably, you know, loyalty came down to my deciding factor. Like, why do I stay where I stay? And, and that, that was the decision. Um, I've tried a bunch of different gyms when I travel, so I kind of know how I can learn better. Yeah. Um, and that might not necessarily be where I go now, but the loyalty aspect of it and the friends I have there, that, that's kind of what keeps me there. Yeah. yeah. How long was uh, East Coast open when you first joined? So East Coast started as a traditional karate school um, in 1986. Um, So we've been open since 1986. It was like a Shotokan karate school. And, uh, you know, the guy that started it, Steve Heineman, um, is a very good, you know, a mentor of mine, a great friend of mine. He actually passed away in 2015, um, stage four cancer. So about... Eight months, I looking back about eight months before he passed, I took over running the school day to day for him, like managing and and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, we've had a pretty a pretty big lineage there, too, as well, as, as far as just tradition and how long we've been around. I mean, you know, in, in today's world, especially with pandemic and everything that's going on to be open since that long is pretty impressive, I feel. Yeah, where was there a. Um... How long did the jujitsu side start before you showed up? Because uh, kind of kind of what I'm alluding to is 2004 yeah. is a long time ago in jujitsu. Like you mentioned, there's not a whole lot of jujitsu academy. So was it open for jujitsu for a long time no. before? No, and I okay. you know I would use the word jujitsu even loosely back then. <laughs> you know, it was just, struggle cuddles. Is like, yeah, man. It was <laughs> you know it was you know my first class I got heel hooked. Um, oh, wow. and nobody said, you know, I feel, you know, that's one feel like jujitsu has progressed so much in the last 20 years, but I think what's progressed more is how we take care of our people. You know, like I have the talks when a new person comes in, like if something hurts tap, if you can't move your feet or hands, say tap, you know, scream, I don't know. You know, I wasn't given any of those guidelines of, Hey, you know, and obviously we're not heel hooking people, especially in the gi, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember getting heel hooked pretty uh, vividly. <laughs> we just had this conversation before coming in here because we, we I put a reel out there in our one of our uh, most recent episodes. It was you know safety starts and ends with you know you as a person. Yeah, and uh, I got a I got a little bit of feedback from you know higher level black belts and other people. You know they're saying like well brand new practitioners. It's not necessarily their responsibility to make sure that they're safe because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So how, how how do you feel about that situation as a white belt? Yeah. You know, if it, I feel like you you should also feel like John John's point. Um, if you're feeling like there's just too much going on, then you are 100 percent able to say, "Hey, hold on a second. I have like this is getting way out of hand." Right. But I don't know. There's there's a lot of ego when it comes to new practitioners who are they don't want to feel like they're weak right. or want to tap. Well, like Chad said, I remember like when um, Cody started the school, like they said it the first day. If you feel like you're in danger, if you feel like you're going to get hurt, any any reason whatsoever, just tap and it stops. <clears throat> so like for me, man, that, like from the beginning, that was like I never worried really because I was like, man, I'm just going to tap. Like, you know, if I ever felt anything, I was just going to you know, like that would hurt me. Yeah. Tap. Yeah. So I have a, you know, 
the same view, but a different take. I listened to that episode when you guys were talking about, you know, who's it on? Is it on the, the person or you to protect yourself? So I started teaching at East Coast as like a two-stripe white belt um, because my blue belt friend that I mentioned um, couldn't teach anymore. And we had just started a gi program. We finally got gi and he's like, hey, I got some things to take care of. I talked to Mr. Hyman that I mentioned and you can run the program, you know, and it was like no gi once a week and gi once a week. And, you know, I didn't know much, so I taught what I knew. But I remember Mr. Hyman telling me, Hey, if anybody gets hurt, it's your fault. Like you need to have control of the room in a way. Now, you know, fast forward 19 years later, I don't know if it's a hundred, I can't say it's a hundred percent the instructor's fault because we all have a voice, right? If you, if you can't do something, if you can't tap or you're feeling uncomfortable, you can stop or say stop. But I will say like, I, I feel I have control when I'm in, when I'm in the building teaching, you know what I mean? Even if I'm rolling, I know what's going on. I can feel if something is getting too heated and I will stop it. Um, so that's kind of a different take on it. Again, I don't want to say you can't, you know, people are gonna be like, Oh, it's not, you know, you have other things to do, but really it's our job as the instructor to keep people safe. You know, you, you want those people coming back and not feeling a certain way. And, um, I really took that to heart when he told me like, Hey, if it's on your watch, it's your fault, you know? So, and I, I think it's also the instructor setting the tone, the atmosphere of the whole facility as well. Like we, we can roll hard at our gym and go and we'll, you know, tap each other back and forth, but very rarely knock on wood does somebody get hurt and you guys could come in, a new person can come in. And I feel pretty comfortable of you rolling with any of my people and not worrying. Now, at the same time, as I say, we're not baking cakes. It's jujitsu. You know, something can still happen. Um, but I feel pretty confident in the atmosphere that we've created and, and cultivate that nothing too bad is going to happen. So do you allow white belts to roll with white belts or for, do you kind of... For the most part, um, there are times where I will, you know, say, hey, don't roll with that white belt yet. Um, maybe it's a wrestler that, you know, is just going to go hard and you, <laughs> we, we all know that a whole right? different breed. Yeah. yeah. Just don't believe that white belt. <laughs> right. How do you have so much cauliflower already? Yeah. Right. But you know, if it's, it's somebody that's small in stature or just, you know, doesn't have that confidence yet, I don't want that taken even more away from them. Um, so I might steer them a different way. Like, Hey, go roll with this purple belt. He'll take care of you, you know? Yeah, I, I listened to something Joe Rogan said on one of his um, podcasts, and it kind of kind of changed the way I train a little bit. And uh, he talks about kind of like a um, uh, 85, 10, 15, or 5 rule. Uh -huh. So like 85% of your partners should be people that you're better than. 10% of them should be people that you're equal uh, in skill or maybe slightly better. And then 5% should be people that are way better than you. Okay. So the reason that is is because on the... 85% of your partners, right, typically white belts, people less less skilled than you, you're going to be able to practice these techniques and execute them on a resisting opponent with with some most of the time little to no, uh, uh, you know, like effort. Not I wouldn't say effort, but you know what I mean? Like you're yeah. you're more likely to hit these hit these moves. And the reason you want to roll with more people that are same skill level as you, because then you get that good feedback back and forth and you can honestly hit 
uh, if you hit a technique on, like, if I hit a good technique on John, I'm like, all right, I know I hit that because John's pretty dang good right, too, right? Yeah. And then rolling with black belts and stuff like that, you're not going to hit a lot of techniques. It's more just surviving <laughs> if they if they let you. When you come toward, when you look at training partners, mm-hmm. um, especially being a little bit older, how do you approach who you roll with and how you roll with them? Um. So I, I, a little differently than I used to. Again, getting older. Um, I'm just coming off my first ever jujitsu injury in 18 years. Um, I popped my MCL, sprained my MCL um, right after Christmas. So I was out for three months. Um, It's the longest break I've ever had in my jujitsu career. So it was a little rough. Um, But now coming back, you know, again, it's not 100%. I feel pretty good. I'm rolling every day, teaching almost every day. Um, But I'm picking my partners a little smarter now, going with some higher ranks, smaller white belts, blue belts, that kind of thing. I'm not going with the, you know, brand new 200 pound white belt yet. <laughs> so. Has that always been the way you approached, uh, um, training with partners? Uh, have you been, uh, I will, you kind of, you kind of alluded to it. You, you, you're a little bit more selective now, but before the injury, how, how was it? Oh, I just roll with, you're I, looking for yeah, I roll with all every, all my students. So, you know, and I've said this too, and on our podcast and other podcasts is like, Obviously, we all want our jujitsu to be good and work on everybody. If you're a black belt, you want to you want to hold that level up. But on the real world situation, I want my jujitsu to work on the 210 pound white belt that just walked in, because if I ever have to use it, that's who I'm probably going to use it against. Not another high ranked jujitsu guy. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes 100% sense. That's why, like, uh, when you see the brand new white belt come in, you know they have no training whatsoever. You kind of you kind of look at it like, yeah, all right, now I could show them the power. Yeah. Like, you could be all spazzy as you yeah. want or, you know, get all buck wild and crazy, but I'm going to show you the power of jiu-jitsu and how being calm and understanding what's going on is is truly superior to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Me, me and uh, our instructor are pretty much the same age. I think either he's a couple months older or maybe I'm a couple months older. I don't know. But man, watching him uh, roll with uh, the heavier guys, the younger guys, and then watching me roll with him, I'm like, Jesus! I wish I had his his wisdom and skill level so I could use that to negate all their physical attributes. But I most certainly do not. Yeah. Chad, what are your typical classes like? Do you have like a special class? Do you have a special class to onboard um, new people, or do you just drop them right into class? I usually drop them right into class. Um, we do have a, like on Tuesday nights, I have a fundamentals class, um, which I mean, honestly, all my classes are pretty fundamental based. I don't get off too much crazy topics. Um, but that Tuesday night class is when, if they come in, if they call and say, Hey, I want to come in and try a class, we do a free class. That's the one I usually bring them into. Um, but really all my classes are pretty fundamentally based. I don't, I don't, you know, Wait, I have a competition class on Saturdays where we'll get off topic a little bit and, and drill a little harder, roll a little harder. Um, and then if we want to, you know, the higher ranks want to work something, we, you know, might do that off to the side before or after class. And sometimes I'll throw in some, some uh, you know, uh, lasso guard or spider guard, um, but not too often. Chad, have you developed a sixth sense to just know when someone's going to excel at jiu-jitsu? Um, I mean, you can tell somebody's got um i guess the athletic ability right we talk a lot about wrestlers usually they're the ones that kind of picks things up quick 
Um, it's just getting them to not turn the wrestling totally off, but a little bit off. Um, and then some guys just come in that, you know, are just athletes, you know, that maybe didn't wrestle. They played, and you know, the big thing right now, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day is we used to be worried about the wrestler coming in, right? Now you have guys that played D2 football, D1 football, basketball. They're coming in and wanting to do jujitsu. And they're better athletes than a lot of the wrestlers, right? Like, it's just a totally different beast. Um, but I think what I like even more is the guy, the unassuming guy that has no athletic ability, right? That you see start picking up jujitsu. And not just picking up jujitsu, but when he leaves at the end of the night, his head's a little higher, he's walking a little taller. He's got that confidence that, that jujitsu brings, right? Um, so those are the most fun ones to see. How long do you think it takes for a new practitioner to develop that confidence within the the gentle art of jujitsu? Um, and you know, I mean, you guys know um, very well that you you get out what you put into jujitsu. So, you know, everybody's going to be a little different. How many nights a week are you training? Are you getting everything out of your class? Are you drilling? Are you you know? The, and, and me and the other black belts at East Coast, we're not drill sergeants. I'm not going to yell at you to drill. Um, you know, you paid good money to come and do these classes. So I assume you want, yeah. you want to be there, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'll have that conversation every now and again, like, guys, you got to drill this stuff because once we go live, you're going to say, Hey, that sweep you showed me doesn't work. Well, you know, I'm glad you're trying it, but ask these questions during that time and, and drill. So, you know, I've seen improvements in guys in you know, as little as three months, if they're coming a lot and really trying things and getting out there, but probably that six month mark is, is where you probably really start seeing some growth. I I would completely agree with that. I felt like six months in is really when, you know, you get like a stripe, maybe two. Yeah. And uh, then you really start to understand, like, you're like, man, I could feel a tangible difference in how I, I roll on the mat. I, you know, do technique. Yeah. Uh, you start getting a little bit more of that, that, understanding of what someone is your instructor is talking about when he talks about a little bit of the nuances and the the uh theory behind why you do something i mean you're nowhere close to being like complete understanding but you start you start getting it because you start by six months you you probably might be revisiting something that you've already done and you know you've probably rolled quite a bit and, and whatnot so i think i think that's a a really good milestone for people if they're training consistency or consistently you know if you're training one time every other week i don't think it's going to be six months but if you're two three times a week consistently yeah i think at six months you're just you're pretty much going to be a completely different person than the day you walked in you know i wish there was a i know you said drilling i feel like one of the things that's a hindrance to that is where to drill at yeah um i know me and travis earlier on man we went and bought fuji mats we tried taping them together (laughs) We were trying it in a garage. We, we would try it, right? But it was not the same. Like, those things would fall apart yeah. with him being on it in, like, two seconds. And the big, biggest success we had, I think, were is in Japan. They just yeah. had a gym that was probably 10 or 12 mats, mm-hmm. like, full-size mats, like, that you would see in your, in your gym. And they were open 24-7 oh, wow. for the most part. So, no, you could just show up and use those mats for whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's where we really got to practice and drill. And I don't know of anything like that really anywhere for people that could just go and, and train and drill. Yeah, and that's where you, you got to get that the most you can out of that class, too. If you don't have those other 
avenues to try to drill. And, you know, we're very open to where guys can come in. So we still run like we have a bunch of karate classes, too, for kids. And um, we have, you know, 4000 square foot of mats, too. So I have a lot of space to where guys can come in early and drill if they want to away from everybody else. Um, But again, a lot of people don't have those avenues. So you have to take, you know, full advantage of those class times and talking to your instructor and asking those you know, we always say dumb questions, but you got to ask, you know. So how do you think a, a, a new practitioner, say they're listening to this and they're about to, they're being training for maybe a month. How do you think they should be approaching their classes to get, be most beneficial to them? I mean, the biggest thing is to do, I mean, jump ahead a little bit. People, especially new people. And with the, the streaming services we have now for jujitsu, YouTube, um, BJJ fanatics, they're seeing so much more. Like when I started, I only knew what I was shown, you know, so that's what I worked on. Um, so keeping those guys, I mean, and again, I don't want to say don't try new stuff and don't watch stuff, but don't also don't do what you don't know or haven't been shown, you know, so come into class ready. If, you know, not, if, I wish I would have took notes back in the day. So, you know, take notes. I have somebody, I told him like video, everything we teach. I don't care what you video of me teaching. Now you can go back and watch it and ask questions. Um, so I think, you know, they just need to come in with an open mind and really, you know, what are you here for? Obviously, we all want to roll. That's the fun part. You know, I'll be the first one to admit drilling sucks. Um, you know, <laughs> it does. it's just, you know, over and over. You're like, oh, can we do something new? But again, we go back to wrestlers. But I'll put one, I'll ask one of my wrestlers. I'm like, how many single legs have you hit? And they're like, God, I don't even know. You know, how, how many times have they drilled that move? But that's why they're so good at it. You know? Video is a good point. Um, we used to video, and I think that's where I had some of the some of the biggest eye-openers. Like, man, <laughs> why did I just lay on my back for 10 minutes and let Travis smash me? Why didn't I just move? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I remember that was the first takeaway from the first video I watched. Yeah. Yeah, I think video is a very powerful tool uh, in your toolbox. Um, <clears throat> and I think it opens up that that pathway of uh, conversational jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you commented on one of our posts where I talk about, you know, just thinking about it, talking with someone can really step your game up a lot. And if you have video that you could show your instructor, like, hey, I was rolling with so-and-so, I got stuck here. What the hell do I do? Yeah. You know, I think that's a very powerful tool. Do do you, uh, you, you said you encourage your students to do that? Yeah. Do, does anyone ever take you up on it? Yeah, we have, uh, yeah, there's somebody in the class that videos everything and they put it like on a Google Drive and send the links out to different people um, that want it and they can watch anything they want and ask questions. And so it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I used to film a lot of our classes. I kind of took a step back <laughs> because... Um, as our audience has grown with the podcast, uh-huh. I didn't want, I felt kind of weird, um, video p- random, random classmates. I would always ask them beforehand, like, Hey, do you mind if oh, I film yeah. this? But, but you know, people act differently when you, when you do film a role and in our Academy, people know that we have a podcast and I put content out and whatnot. Right. So I kind of felt, I kind of felt bad. Like if, if I'm always putting up, uh, 
video of people in class that just want to be in class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I so I kind of took a step back from video in our classes yeah. because I didn't want people to think like, oh man, Travis just tapped me 15 times. <laughs> now, now I'm going to be gonna on be the, a real, yeah, great. now it's going to be on the internet <laughs> yeah. for people to make fun of me. Cause I suck. You know what I mean? Like Chewy, Chewy talked about that. Um, you know, he put a, a video out where he's like, I don't, I don't necessarily put rolling footage up of me and my students because I don't need a win, right. uh, on the internet. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but I don't know. I think it's like one of those touchy subjects. Like I respect people for wanting to show up and do jujitsu. And the last thing I want to do is be the reason why they stop wanting to roll with me because they know they're going to end up on video. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I think the you know, so. some of the best things you can do. I had this question back right after the pandemic. I think I had one of my white belts. He's a blue belt now, but he's like, Hey, if you were me, what instructional would you buy? So here's my advice to noob. And I'm not, again, get what you can get and take it all in. There's so much out there. But as a white belt, I can recommend what you're watching. But again, we always say you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing in the details of those DVDs, right? Or those instructionals. See how old I am? I said DVDs. We don't even get Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get it. DVDs. Yeah, yeah, cassettes, yeah. you know. They... Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I recommended to him, and that's not just because it's me, do privates with your instructor. He knows your game better than anybody, better than anybody. So to me, it's like, do some privates if you can. And then I always re recommend to my guys in watching matches, not instructionals, but actual matches. I think you can learn so much in body movements. And then you start recognizing things like, oh, I remember that Kimura. We did that in class. And then you can see how to get to it or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I agree. In, like watching people at the highest level is you know you see things you're like man that was super slick mm -hmm. but i'm gonna be honest with you chad mm -hmm. uh watching jujitsu other people roll jujitsu in a competitive aspect is horribly boring to me i yeah. mean it is so boring sometimes man i'm like oh my god that was a 15 minute match for a one advantage win like well, come true. on <laughs> and, and that's, yeah, but there's a lot of knowledge there but there is and that's you know we can talk about that i mean you if you're watching IBJJF stuff, you're going to get that probably, you know, like, unfortunately. But I also think if you watch the right people, no matter if it's yeah. Gi, no Gi, who's number one, I, if you watch the Rotulo brothers, it's going to be exciting. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So that that if you watch, you know, not that he, obviously he's an awesome grappler, but like Andre Galvao, he's going to play the IBJJF game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, you just got to figure out who you want to watch, too. Yeah. Do you, have you ever competed in jujitsu? I did a little bit when I was a white belt. And then my last time I ever competed was at purple belt. Um, but I did, you know, I've won one match my whole jujitsu career, if you want to call it that. Um, but, you know, and I'm cool with that. I used to be really like, man, especially getting, you know, when I started coaching more, I'm like, well, I can't go out there and lose. Right. I'm the coach. But, you know, then I got to realize I got to listen to. Listen to myself to what I tell those guys. Hey, it's cool. Just go out there and have fun. And but it's not. It's not. It wasn't for me as much. I like coaching a lot more. How did you handle that whole? You know, only winning one match. Like, <laughs> did it was it a demotivator or was it a motivator? Like, did you ever face that wall? You're like, man, I keep losing. Why do I keep doing this? Maybe I should just stop jujitsu. Or how no, did you handle all that? I never thought about stopping jujitsu. I just you know, like, you know, maybe this competition thing really isn't for me. Um, and also looking back to when I was training too, it was a lot, you know, we, we trained, like I said, maybe twice a week. Um, my first, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty small guy. Um, that for, I think I weighed 
I was at what well, I was 145 and my coach told me to cut to the 135 pound bracket for my first tournament. And I'm like, man, looking back, I would never tell anybody that. You Don't know? ever cut weight on your first competition. Wow. Yeah, man. It's like, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't regret any of it. Um, I kind of wish I was younger now to where jujitsu is at our academy because we have a lot of guys competing. It's, you know, it's just the knowledge is, is higher now. It's just jujitsu has evolved. So things are a lot different. Um, but, you know, I always tell my guys, too, um, losing a jiu-jitsu match doesn't mean you suck at jiu-jitsu, you know, and it doesn't mean that that guy's necessarily better than you. He's better. He was better than you that day, um, you know, so don't don't let that become a negative impact on you, you know. Speaking of evolving in jiu-jitsu, you know. You started at 29 years old. Obviously, your athleticism, your physicality was probably way more than you are now. How how have you evolved uh, as you have grown in age in jujitsu? I want to say, actually, I, it's, I'm probably better now in those avenues. Of, oh, really? You know, being a little more athletic and knowing my body and, um, you know, I'm still small, but I, you know, I started, I don't like, I'm not a workout guy. I'm not going to go throw a kettlebell around for a half hour. What um, <laughs> said no jujitsu guy ever, right? <laughs> You're not going to eat acai and do steroids. Come on, yeah. Chad. Well, that might be different. But, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I started doing like during the uh, quarantine, you know, three years ago now I was, I started doing pushups and pull-ups um, and that's it. Just not like I, I would just like do 20 pushups and then an hour later do 20 pushups and then, you know, I did the whole grease in the groove method. I don't know if you guys have never heard, ever heard about that, but, um, instead, you know, we get in our head that we have to work out for like an hour, a half an hour. And it's not for a lot of people. It's not for me. I get bored. I don't like it. But what I can do is go do 20 pushups and 20 pull-ups. And then a half hour later, I can do the same thing. And then I grease the groove through the whole day. And then by the end of the day, you've done 300 pushups and a hundred pull-ups. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of the method I took with that. And I think that helped my jujitsu in the last three years, um, doing those kinds of things that helped my frames and my core and just being a little more aggressive when I needed it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I recently started working out again too. Like I mentioned in our the previous episode, uh, I love working out. I wish I could dedicate more time to it. Like I used to. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think it's the end all be all, you know, I think with how much you mentioned earlier, how much information is out there, people yeah. see, you know, these higher level practitioners are just, you know, uh, their buddies and, you know, they're working out, you know, they're, they're, they're doing all the social media stuff and posting, right. you know, their wins and whatnot. I don't think that, like you said, I don't think it's the end all be all. I think moving is more important than anything else. If you're moving, yeah. that's going to be the most beneficial to you. Right, John? Like, I mean, you're, you're getting up to that age now too, where you're like, look, dude, as long as I'm able to play with my kids or you know whatnot yeah. like i just want to be active i don't yeah. want to be a couch potato so as long as yeah. i'm moving and stuff like that i feel like it's just better for you in the yeah long term, and, and not sure. that you know at that top level the guys that are competing obviously doing an extra strength and conditioning program is going to help them right yeah but i've always been the mindset that if you want to get better jujitsu do more jujitsu jiu yep you know so so what would advice would you give to newer practitioners that might be starting a little bit later in life? Uh, have fun. <laughs> you know, nothing like earth shattering. Just come in and, you know, we can use that cliche, drop your ego. And that takes some time, you know. 
Um, but just come in with an open mind and have fun. And I, I, I honestly think that learning jujitsu is going to be the second best thing that on this journey, the first thing is meeting cool people and having a, a friends yeah. and family that you never expected, you know? Yeah. The camaraderie you get from martial arts is, is, I don't know, <clears throat> to me, it's like, it's hard to match, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. when you go through those adversities with, with people and, um, where else can you strangle your best friend and then have a beer afterwards? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like no hard no feelings or anything. So like it was that. in school, right? You get in a fight and then you're best friends with the guy you get in the fight yeah. with. Yeah. Right. Like, except <laughs> for now you get to do it regularly and, and in a controlled environment. Yeah. yeah. You're right. So, but you, you live in Ohio, right? Yeah. What is up with the loyalty? Speaking of loyalty, what is up with the loyalty of people in Ohio for, you know, for everything that's, that that it comes from you guys like <laughs> yeah. sports teams you mean like yeah, like, yeah i was like is that where he's going with there you talking about lebron right yeah, now yeah well like, i mean Le Le i mean right lebron people people when he left cleveland the first time right they're like no burning his jersey oh, like yeah. it did for Favre when he left green bay and went to, like, yeah. like like do you feel that uh that kind of goes into your guys's uh jujitsu also like if you see someone from cleveland or ohio <laughs> you're like instantly like yeah that's my boy i don't even care or who he is like i just know he's from ohio like i would probably i mean i think we did that with uh with stipe when stipe won the ufc title oh right? yeah yeah you know he's a cleveland guy and um you know people think people will say he kick-started everything for ohio because the Cavs won the next year and then the indians <laughs> made the world series and you know so yeah ohio is very very loyal to their sports teams and people just like in general yeah yeah, do you feel that kind of in your academy too? Like, is that just a general vibe that you kind of get from your your students? I would say so. I've never thought about it that way, but you're right, man. Totally, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I I um I think we live in a small town too, where people have a little bit more loyalty also to to the people around them. Yeah, uh, I mean, I can't speak for like I didn't really train down in San Diego, but I feel like in a larger <laughs> area with more people, there's probably less of that. Like, probably. I don't think California. Uh, in certain areas is going to be like like die ride or die for for their, their academy or anything like that yeah. but i don't know i mean it, it could be did you feel it was like that when you trained down there john uh yeah i mean at the places i went they seem they seem pretty close-knit really yeah i think it's maybe just the and i mean it was word of mouth too really i'm like here right and i'm like hey where should i go train and our, our professor at the time was like hey go to this place in chula vista that's where i went and then i went there and they all knew him i was like oh, you know and you're like they still got the ties. What welcome welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chad, we usually like to end the episode with one tip for a brand new practitioner, uh, someone that just started out. You kind of alluded to a little bit of it with the older practitioner. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything for just the general uh, white belt just starting in jujitsu that you would tip to them? Uh, probably the same thing, man. Just come in with an open mind, have fun ask questions. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing when I started doing seminars or, you know, taking seminars, um, I would always try to ask a question. And even in my classes, if one of my other guys is teaching, like when I was injured, um, you know, one of my purple belts is teaching, I would kind of come in the class and watch, but I would ask him a question, even if I knew the answer, because I knew somebody there probably had that question and didn't want to ask, or maybe, you know, obviously maybe they didn't even think of that question, but I think that's we don't talk about that enough, man. Have have questions. I, I you know I want to be as approachable 
um, as I can be to the students where they don't think they can't. And, and I'm not, but I think that probably happens somewhere or a lot of places where you get lost in the mix. Like um, we have some big classes, like through the week, I have 30 to 40 people in every class. Oh, wow. Um, but you see these guys, like I saw Tynan Dalpre posted his 6 a.m. class at AOJ had 90 people in it. Holy crap. I'm like, what the heck? So, you know, in those instances, how do you touch everybody? You know, like, how do you get to those people? So diminishing returns, man. Yeah. So I think a lot of times it's got to be on you to seek some things out, too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Completely yeah. agree. I wish I asked more questions when I when I first started, but I probably asked too many because they all look at me at the end of a, every time they teach something. They're like, anybody have questions? Well, and you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's true they were like anyone have any questions john, john? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. and that you know that helps the instructor um you know terry that does the podcast with me he's my question guy and he'll he'll make fun of himself but he's asked me questions like hey why do you put your right hand there and i'm like uh i don't know let's reverse this and let me see why do i do that you know some yeah. some things you try i try to be so detailed but you always like well why do why do i do that so um, questions help the instructor as much as it helps the student. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, John, you got anything else? I don't, man. Hey, Thank Chad, you, this man. was a great conversation. Sorry for all the technical no, difficulties, I man. No, I apologize man. No, it was uh, still a great conversation. I can't wait for people to listen to this. Where can people find you if they want to listen to your podcast, look at your academy, and stalk you on the internet? <laughs> so, uh, Team East Coast underscore BJJ on Instagram is our academy page. Um, you can find Limitless Radio Casts on all major platforms and social media and stuff. And uh, we also Great have show li- too. Yeah, we also have Limitless Tape as our finger tape. So check that out too. Heck yeah, man! Uh, thank you so much once again, Chad, for coming yeah. on the show. Uh, I, I'm glad we got to finally do this. I, we're all we're all so busy all the freaking time sure. with our with our day to day lives and our podcast too. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good we've got we got to sit down and have this conversation. So for sure. Uh, Remember, guys, follow us everywhere. Follow Chad everywhere. Go listen to Limitlet Radio Cast. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, remember, no old checks here. Oops. All right, guys, thanks. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>